On the web one afternoon Found a site that made me swoon It had something for each Harry, Dick and Tom You can find it in my cache Or http colon slash slash and you'll find quite a lot of wax on that their website Quite a lot of wax to view Some people say it wanes But we shall eat their brains And kick them in the crotches too For everyone should love this wondrous website Everyone who wants to live If you don't read all the works You're a bunch of stupid jerks And I'll meet you in the shower with my shift Hey everybody and welcome to Cast and Wax. My name is Jordan D. White and this is your podcast for this day. Whatever day it happens to be. Preferably the day it comes out, but you know, listen to it whenever, man. That's the whole point of Internet Files. Why am I going on about this? This right next to me here is my lovely cat, Scape. Hello, my name is Scapey and I am a cat, as she said. I am very impressive in pretty much all ways. I can sing, I can act, I can tell stories. I'm a master storyteller. And I am also fond of moist food. Yeah, well, why are you giving... Okay, it's like a biography for some reason. But yeah, the point is, he's a, one of the hosts of the show. So we, we chat about things. And over here is Mr. Rory Sinjin. How are you doing, Rory? Um, I'm doing all right. Thank you for asking. Uh, yes, you know, business is going along quite well. Uh, I do have, you know, my own clients. So even so, even though the Brooklyn Institute for Extra Historical Studies, which I used to work at a while back, has closed down. In, in some ways, my, my business is, has actually improved since then because some people who used to be able to get extra historical readings through other people at the Brooklyn Institute for Extra Historical Studies no longer can do so. So, so I've actually picked up a few clients, but still I, I do mourn for the general problem of the loss of the Brooklyn Institute for Extra Historical Studies. I being, if you've never heard me before, an extra historian who studies alternate realities, the histories of alternate realities, perhaps even discovers the histories of alternate realities. Debatable. No, it's not It's not debatable. It, it is a fact. Um, so, yes. What, what was the question? How, How am I? I'm good. Okay, good. Um, speaking of, actually, speaking of Brooklyn Institute and, and the fact that you were an extra historian. Um, we have a section of the show that we call Toll Watch, uh, named after our good friend Frank Allen, who used to be a member of the show and then uh, told us off. So, Scape, would you uh, prepare us for this week's Toll Watch? Thank you, thank you very much. Now, uh, usually we save our reader mail for the end of the show. We got, we did get a piece of reader mail this week, um, and I'll still let Scape sing a summary song at the end of the show. But the piece of mail I'd like to read, it actually is very much related to Apple Watch. So, Rory, this is a letter to you. Oh, really? Is it? Is it from... Frank? No, 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 not from Frank, but someone who is an associate of Frank's, um, and who also was on last week's show. So let's listen to it. Oh, yes, please. Dear Rory, it seems that there has been a terrible misunderstanding, and whenever there is terror that affects me, Thomas Alva Edison, I, Thomas Alva Edison, must step in. In last week's episode, you were apparently apoplectic about Frank Allen's decision to close the Brooklyn Institute for Extra Historical Studies. Allow me, Thomas Alva Edison, to paint you a picture of words about the circumstances surrounding this event. Recently, in the past, I, Thomas Alva Edison, appeared as invited on 
Frank Allen's debatatorium. Though we had met socially before that, the two of us became friends very soon afterwards. And Frank would come to consult me, Thomas Alva Edison, on matters that vexed him. When he came into his fortune, he expressed to me, Thomas Alva Edison, his desire to do something for you, Rory St. John, St. John, sorry, who he'd spent a great deal of time fighting with and longed to make right. What, he asked me, Thomas Alva Edison, should he do? I, Thomas Alva Edison, advised him to purchase and close the Brooklyn Institute. But Thomas Alva Edison, Frank said to me, Thomas Alva Edison, the Brooklyn Institute is the only place on the East Coast for dependable extra history. Precisely, I, Thomas Alva Edison, responded, this means that Rory will have a regional monopoly on extra historical readings, ensuring his fortune and prosperity. Zowie, Frank Allen declared, you're right, Thomas Alva Edison, thanks a lot. You're welcome, Frank, said I, Thomas Alva Edison. And now, all you can talk about is what a jerk he is. For shame, Rory Sinjin. Also, a message to Jordan, I, Thomas Alva Edison, was delighted by this week's podcast, especially the debatatorium featuring me, Thomas Alva Edison. The scapy story was also delightful. Might I, Thomas Alva Edison, recommend Clark Ashton Smith or Lord Dunsany as an author? I may and will. I, Thomas Alva Edison, hope this had cleared the air on this matter. Thomas Alva Edison, Thomas Alva Edison. So that kind of paints a slightly different word picture, so to speak, uh, of what happened. Well, yes, it does, but I don't, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't say I believed it. You think, you think Thomas Alva Edison would lie? I think he'll probably have to write in upset that you would suppose such a thing. Well, first of all, it's, you know, it's no secret that he lies. So I don't know why anyone would, would even, you know, think that that was a problem. He probably invented lying. He probably invented lying about lying. So there you are. But in addition, no, I just, I'm sorry. I don't believe it. It doesn't seem helpful to me. Yes. Yes. Like I said, I do, it, do, it does increase my business and I do have more money now. But in general, it's, it's a short-term gain over a long-term one. If the Brooklyn Institute closes down, over time, people will generally forget about extra-historical studies in general. And and while in the short term, yes, everyone has to come to me, and yes, I am quite busy, and yes, I've been charging, you know, twice twice as much. But it isn't it isn't going to be helpful to the industry in the long run. You know, for the for the short run, for the next few years, of course, I will I will probably have quite a bit of money. But, you know, 10 years down the line, who's going to be wanting extra historical studies? As part of the Brooklyn Institute's outreach program, we would, you know, go to schools and talk to children and teach them that extra history is a valid way to spend your money when you are an adult and have credit cards and things like that. If we're not doing that outreach program, who's going to let children know that this is something that they can and probably should spend their money on in in order to reassure themselves to living a healthy life. Well, I I would say that I don't know that anyone would do that and that I'm appalled that you would do that in the first place. Well, no, it wasn't me who did it. It was part of the Institute. Well, you were part of the Institute. Well, no, yes, but I, that's a lowly position. You know, I was doing actual historical readings, as you know, doing in investigations into extra history. I wasn't part of what, well, what we called them the brainwashing committee, but that's not what they were actually called. I forget the actual name, but I wasn't part of that. You know, there was lower people, people who had just joined, people who had not a lot of experience in the field, you know, who are just earning their the stripes, so to speak, you know, undergraduates, of course. That's, that's... I, well, that's, that's terrible. Well, the point, the point is, though, even if I don't believe Thomas Alva Edison, and even if I do believe Thomas Alva Edison, I don't believe Frank Allen, he's probably knowing in his heart, yes, perhaps this will help Rory, but it will be death to the industry. So, you know, I, I, I just don't trust him. I, I'm sorry. Uh, and, and unless I actually hear from him that he was doing it for my benefit, I don't even believe that he did it for my benefit in the long run, in the short run, in any run, no runs. Okay. All right. Fine. I mean, well, we do think he's kind of, you know, a jerk. So I, you're probably right. He, I mean, and he's, got all this money and all, so far all he's done with it is shut down the institute so no, i know i know it, it's it's you know it's just deplorable well hopefully next next week on Apple watch we'll give you more of an update
no, no, we don't need the song. Don't need the song. We already did the song. Okay, well, fine. Um, I was saying other things. It's the show time now. The show time. No, now. we don't have a song for the show starting. That's no. It's you only get to sing. Uh, I mean, I, I even like this is this is extra singing already. You don't have to sing more. Well, I do. You don't. But speaking of things you do have to do, you do have to listen to Epic Echoes. This is the first episode of the third season of Epic Echoes, meaning it's the last episode of the season from another point of view. So it is the culmination of the plot line in which those rascally flash packs have been chasing around the vampiros. Hopefully you will enjoy it. Echoes, the Backwards Series, Season 3, Episode 1, The End of the Beginning, by Guinevere Eckert. <sighs> it's over. He's done for. The flashback breathes a sigh of relief at the sight of the immobile skeletal systems of the vampiros Lucien the Great and his wife Calliope on the cave floor. I can't believe they found us here. I suppose leaving that map of the underground cave network from World War II Italy in 17th century Italy wasn't the smartest idea. Probably not, Jimmy. But never fear. We've beaten countless vampiros already, and we're more than capable of doing it again. You may be capable. I need a nap and a deep tissue massage. Great purple penguins of Pluto. I wish these stupid vampiros never existed in the first place. Calm down, Jimmy. Like Max said. Golly gee whiz, Jimmy, you're a genius. Huh? Are you sure genius is the right word? Because I generally go with mildly gifted, bordering on adorably stupid. Guys, don't you see? We've spent the past, what is it now, six months? More or less. We spent six months playing hopscotch through time, hunting down vampiros on an individual scale. I'm pretty sure we all knew that, though, seeing as we were all more or less there. Go back to the part where I'm a genius. And go there fast! Fertress returned to the group from his lookout at the mouth of the cave, moving at what was considerably more than his normal speed. Three of the innocent brothers we set up have been absorbed! They'll be here any minute now! No, they won't. Actually, Max, I can see them from here. I'm pretty sure being here is on their immediate agenda. Not if they don't exist. You know what time and place this batch spawned from? Gosh, Max, there's got to be an easier way to get rid of them than all this time hopping, especially if the next one's as strong as Lucian was. Man, he was a nasty one, wasn't he? The tougher any vampires are, you can bet their maker was worse. All true, but also old news. Let's do this thing of Max's before these guys arrive. We will, but we can't leave without Keen and Molly. Meanwhile, the second of the two missing pack members finally caught up with the first. Minus a transporter belt, Molly had made the five-mile trek on foot, and between the rocks and vampiros was rather worse for the wear. For the love of Stuart, not you again. <sighs> Sarah, I need to speak with you. Urgent. It can wait, Molly. No, it can't. Molly, this is none of your business. Go away. William is going to be here any minute. I will not have you ruining my wedding night. Wedding night? Sarah, please tell me you haven't. You can't be serious. Not yet. Jeez, don't have an aneurysm. And don't think you can stop us either. (laughs) William has promised to take me to ancient Athens for a honeymoon. 
No, Keen, you are not marrying- Molly, shut up! I am- Keen! Molly grabbed Keen by the shoulders and shook her soundly. Keen, he's a demon. Molly- Just hear me out. He's half Vampiros. How do you think he got such an important title that's known Vampiros property? He is no such thing. How dare you say that? Wouldn't he have tried to kill me by now? But Keen, he has killed you. He's the reason we died. Listen to yourself. What happened to the kind, shy Sarah that I knew? He's only half Vampiros. He doesn't drink blood, but he still sucks the innocence out of everything and everyone that gets close to him. Lies! Horrible lies! I thought you were my friend, Molly. I am your friend. Sarah, and that's why you have to hear this. If you get married to him, he'll turn you into a Vampiros as well. He would never. Besides, we still don't know if half Vampiros can make new Vampiros. Yes, we do. And they can, and they're harder to kill. Please, Keen, you have to believe me. You have to help me kill William. Never! How typical of you, Molly. Always getting someone else to do your dirty work. Where's Max when you need him? If you so desperately want him dead, you can do it yourself. And you'll have to go through me first. Please, Sarah, it's the only way. Molly, if you say another word, I swear- Useless banter. Silly words used by a sillier woman. Good afternoon, my beloved. Keen's dark and dashing suitor, Sir William Alfred Wickersham, 14th Lord Duke of Blackmore, formerly known as the Greater North Sea Continent of Britain, swept to one knee and kissed her hand. He looked up at her from under his wide-brimmed and feathered chapeau and smiled. Never fear, my dearest Sarah. I find it positively delightful that little Miss Molly should come all the way out here by herself thinking she can put an end to me. Sir William Alfred Wickersham, 14th Lord Duke of- Oh, for goodness sake! Bill stood up and pulled out a sword. Sometimes the only way to get things done is to do them yourself. Oh dear, I wouldn't let the rest of your precious pack hear you say that. By dampen their happy little morale. Like you dampened Keen's? Oh, I assure you, Molly, Keen is quite happy with me. And it jerked everyone else? Everyone else does not matter. Especially as I'll be hunting down the rest of the flash pack to finish them off. Once I've finished you, of course. It will be my wedding present to Lady Sarah. No more pesky, whining plebeians who think they're better than she. Keen, I hope you're listening to this. But Keen was standing off to the side looking utterly distressed. She flinched whenever Sir William barely dodged a blow from Molly, but jumped up and down and cheered him on every time he took the upper hand. Finally, the two combatants separated, out of breath. Give up, Molly. Don't make this harder on yourself than it has to be. Besides, as a woman, do you really want to die in such a disheveled state, all covered with blood and dirt? It's a disgrace. I can end it painlessly. I can make you one of us. All you have to do is lay down your sword. <sighs> Are we fighting, or are we talking? I'm winning, and you're losing. With a tip of his hat and a swish of his cape, Sir William whirled around and stabbed Molly in the shoulder. Ah! Molly, no! Sir William wiped the blood off of his sword and knelt down next to Molly. He lifted her up, and as her neck approached his teeth, a laser beam emerged from his stomach. Sorry, honey, but as much as my friends drive me crazy, I still enjoy having them in one piece. Keen pressed a button, and the laser beam spread out, making toast of Sir William a really long title guy. Then she ran to Molly, who was struggling to sit up. <coughs> I'm really glad that Julie's inventions work more times than they don't. <coughs> Wait, what? Molly, you're okay? But you were just run through. I was. Thank the gods the hydro-steel skin armor with <coughs> super-stretch capabilities and fake blood worked, I think. Am I dead again? Keen pinched Molly's exposed shoulder. Ouch! 
I'm voting on Alive. Thanks a lot. Meanwhile, back with the flashback, the approaching Vampiros were mere meters away from the cave, and Max still had yet to reveal his genius plan. My point is, we know that killing any Vampiros will automatically erase any of their spawn from time, but what if we go beyond that? Max, we've been going beyond, above, around, and exceeded every limit nature has to offer us. Stop being cryptic and just tell us what's going on. Stop Ector from creating them. Max, you're a genius. I can't believe I didn't think of this before. Because you're the only one who ever has any ideas. Where did you guys come from? Why is Mario bloody? We'll explain later. First, we have to go back to the 1670s and stop Sir Ector from completing his experiment. Quick, everybody grab hands. As the sounds of the approaching vampiros reached a distance where an impolitely loud conversation could potentially occur, the flashback joined hands and, via Slaughter's watch, whirled away through the well-known vortex of time. When they landed, they were in England, in 1678. They were also standing in a circle, hands still joined, around a pale dead body. Slaughter and Keem backed away rather hastily, their eyes casting about for a suitable place to safely deposit their lunches. But where's Sir Ector? Sir Ector Huntington was, in fact, standing right behind Max, so infinitely absorbed in perfecting the potion that he was intending to feed the corpse that he was completely oblivious to the mutterings echoing through his stone laboratory. Max called out to the cad in his hero voice. Sir Ector Huntington! He spun around to scan the room just as Sir Ector turned, rather quickly, to see who was shouting for him while standing right behind him. There you are, you conniving evil! (laughs) As previously stated, Sir Ector had turned rather quickly. A relatively bad idea when carrying concoctions meant for the resurrection of the dead. Especially when the dish you're carrying it in has no lid as it is very likely that said red glorping concoction will spill all over you, erode your face away, and leave you in a twitching puddle on the floor. Uh, well then. Oh, snap. Alyssa's going to kill me for this one. Max, you just took out the guy that invented gravity. Way to go, bro. I didn't mean to kill him. Quick, let's go back and fix it. No! Vertress, we've done this how many times? You know you're not allowed to time step to a place where you know you already are. Because you haven't broken a thousand of your time stepper rules already. Well, with Hector out of the picture, he and poor Isaac won't have to have that big trial concerning who discovered gravity first. I always liked Isaac better anyway. I got lost when I was little and he gave me an apple. Gang, let's take stock of this for a moment. We defeated the Vampiros, once and for all. That means we can finally go home again! My lab! My treaties! My rubber bands! Wait, guys, we never found the cat ship. None. Look, I don't know about anybody else, but I'm tired, I'm sore, I know at least two of our members are in need of a second lunch, and if I recall correctly, the ship was in several more pieces than it ought to have been when we last saw it. I vote we leave the stupid ship wherever it is and just go home. Drowse is right. We've been through time searching for that thing. Let's face it, somebody took it. Get over it, Molly. You just have to accept that you're not the only person in this space-time continuum that is obsessed with old junk. Oh, come on, guys. I know it's a hunk of junk, but it's our ship. How's about we just try one spot? We're up your nose! I think that's the only place we haven't yoked yet! No, Fuzzbrain. We'll go back to when we crashed it and take it back before anyone else gets to it. We exited that ship pretty quickly and booked it for the hills. If I set my watch for 15 minutes after we crashed, we should be able to get in and out unnoticed. Are you sure, Slaughter? I hate it when you go messing with stuff you don't know. Dralis, out of the two of us who has not killed any of their friends in the past year? Dralis blushed a new shade of blue, and Slaughter fiddled with the dials on her watch. Once again, the flash pack grabbed hands and were whisked through time. This time, they landed exactly where they had landed exactly six months ago.
The sunset was the same, the mountains looked the same, and an unfamiliar silence where there should have been the familiar sound of them being attacked by a horde of vampiros echoed from the distance. However, stranger than that was that instead of looking upon the dusty wreck of their Saladonian catship, what the pack found was their catship in only one piece. And it was shining. Holy space halos. That thing's shiny. And not broken. The flash pack slowly approached the catship. Are we sure it's ours? Do you remember anyone else crashing a Saladonian catship named Marvin 3 here? Well, no, but I do remember us crashing, and that isn't crashed. Look, a note. Indeed, there was what appeared to be a note tucked under one of the cat ship's windshield wipers. Ooh, who's it from? Can we keep it? The note or the ship, fuzzball? It's... it's from us? Let me see that. Well, technically it's from Molly. She's the only one who writes her asses like that. How is that something that anyone could possibly ever know? Molly blushed. Well, guys, it looks like this is, in fact, our ship. Turns out we found it and fixed it up, then left it here so that we could find it and go home. But how did we do all of this? I, for one, don't have any recollection of seeing this hunk of junk since the crash. That's one of the side effects of spending so much time traveling space and changing things around. If you do something in one time and then go back and change something in another time, it's very likely to alter the future that you came from, so you'd be doing different things. How do you know that? How do I know that? Come on, gang. We can worry about that later. Let's get out of here. Their mission solved. All the Flash Pack had to do was head back to their floating space complex hovering over Seattle. They squished themselves into the tiny seats of their ship and set a course for Flashpoint. Stell off! We're home! Has the Flash Pack finally returned to its own time? Are Vampiros finally gone for good? Will Molly and Keen's relationship ever be the same? The answers begin in next year's season premiere, That's My Paradox. In that episode of Epic Echoes, Guinevere Eckert was the narrator, Nicholas Roach was Max Thornfield, Angela Tymon was Dralis Thornfield, Devin White was Molly Singh, Lynn Nelson was Jill Slaughter, Tongwen Wong was Sarah Keen, Daniel Schwartz was Jimmy Kovacs, Scape White was Fertris Fuzzbottom, Charles Berman was Sir William Alfred Wickersham, and Patrick Ganan was Sir Ector Huntington. The theme song was by Michael Temporary Card Mikowski. Thank you very much, Rory. And speaking of thanking you, Rory, we have something else to thank you for because it is time for This Day in History and Where Are They Now in History. So thank you for that. You're very welcome. Here it is. Hello, thank you for listening to WHRW Binghamton. My name is Rory Simpson. This is This Day in History. On January 12, 1984, an international panel overseeing the restoration of the Great Pyramids in Egypt overcomes years of frustration when it abandons modern construction techniques in favor of the method employed by the ancient Egyptians. Hmm, how goes the slave labor drone? It's going pretty well. Originally, I wasn't sure how we were going to buy these many slaves. It's going great for you, but it sucks from this end! Yeah, but then we started soliciting people's money, telling them that it was for pyramid reconstruction, wink wink, without mentioning the whole slaves thing. Don't forget the contest that I won. Yeah, I wanted to see Egypt. I didn't want to be part of Egyptian history. Bow before your god, emperor. Can I stop fanning you yet? Certainly not. But my arms are tired. You're right. Oh. Look, I understand I'm an unruly upstart slave, and it's great to whip me, but can't we mix up my punishment a little bit? Quick, send out more pictures of infants. The supplies are running low. Of infants? 
infants. You know, those little ones that we send Well, no, people. no, I thought you meant the supply of infants is run. You mean no, cash, no, no. right? Yes. We need more cash, yes. so we're going to send out Even fake pamphlets. Even I, the stupid slave, get it. He wants you to dupe people into thinking you're supporting kids, but you're actually supporting the slave trade. Good one, slave. Whip crack! Ow! Whip cracker! Ow! <laughs> I was helping! You're right! I love pyramid schemes. One should always be certain to investigate the charitable organizations one donates to to make sure that they're not actually fraudulent. This is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. But wait, I command you. My name's Roy Sinjin and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast Wax. And you're probably wondering about when that scheme was exposed. Yes, it was in fact a giant organization known as the Society for the Restoration of the Pyramids and Saving Children. And there was a lovely little pamphlet with lots of very sick and sad children that you were supposedly saving and the pyramids that are decrepit. Of course, as you know, they were using that money to buy slaves to build pyramids from scratch. It was all a giant scheme. There was no protecting of children going on. In fact, the children that they were taking pictures of were the children they were purchasing and then raising into slavery. It was very terrible. I mean, they said they were going to give meals to those children and technically they did, but it was only one every couple of days. The person who discovered this was, in fact, Mr. Rorikus Singinia, who looked at the pamphlet and immediately said, you know what, this pamphlet does not appear to be correct. I will expose it. And the person who was behind it all, Franconium of Alonitus, was stoned to death. Yes, absolutely stoned to death with the stones from the pyramids. Oddly enough, it took about six slaves per stone, hoisting it up one, two, three, and throw. I think you've learned your lesson both not to set up fake charitable organizations and to investigate the charitable organizations that you give your money to because you never know what they're doing with them money, they could be lying, you see? My name is Roy Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. You know, Rory, I notice that it's interesting that current events seem to influence the the the, the histories that you discover. Well, that's, it's really not that surprising. No? No, that makes sense to you? Well, no. Yes, of course it does, because I conceive of these histories by... I discover them by conceiving of them, if you understand. Remember that I kind of think of them in my mind. Make them up, in other words. No. Well, I think of them, which is also conceiving of them, which is also discovering. It's all synonyms. Well, they're not traditionally synonyms. No, but in the field of extra history, they're, they're synonyms. So you have a different version of the English language for your... No, no, no. It's not about a different version. It's about what is and is not. Oh, yeah. That doesn't... That doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, I'm going to... I'm going to let it go, though, and say that you're right about, you know... I mean, the, the, the point you were making was valid, but whatever. Let's move on to uh, Tractor Fiction. This is an episode which is... If you're a Muslim, you should probably grab some grains of salt that you can have nearby so that you can um, take them with this episode. This is a Tractor Fiction episode which is particularly offensive to Muslims because it is supposedly exposing the truth about the Muslim religion and in fact um, I mean, you know, it's... A, well, you'll see. Hopefully you'll enjoy it. It's Tractor Fiction with Mr. Frank Allen. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Tractor Fiction here on WHRW Binghamton. Uh, my name's Frank Allen, and uh, as always, we are here to discuss uh, certain religious tracts and uh, talk about what they're about, and then debate their uh, veracity and uh, whether they're right or not. Pretty much the same thing, but there you go. Uh, today we have a tract called The Little Bride. Uh, this is a particularly offensive tract in certain ways, so I do want to say that this program may be considered offensive. Views expressed are those of the... Uh, engineer or his guests, possibly. Or uh, the point is that they don't reflect the views of WHRW or the management of WHRW. Therefore, we advise you to carefully consider whether you or your children should even listen to the show at all. Uh, okay. Now, 
The Little Bride. Enjoy. Once upon a time, in a school just like the one in your neighborhood, a classroom of young children was anxiously awaiting their release for the long weekend. As the bell rang, signaling the end of the day, their teacher dismissed them. Okay, children, remember, Monday is a holiday. Do your homework. I'll see you next Tuesday. Bye, Miss Hen. The children quickly ran outside to see their friends. Susie! I've got some exciting news! Oh, what is it, Becky? We met this new neighbor. His name is Amir. He and his sister have been talking to us about God. He's really cute, Susie. He wants us to become Muslims. That evening, at exactly 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Susie went to her grandfather to ask him about what she had heard. Her grandfather sat in the kitchen, his coffee steaming. Grandpa closed his one eye as its aroma drifted into his nostrils. He couldn't see Susie coming because she approached from the side of his face with the eye patch. Grandpa, what's a Muslim? Why are you asking, Susie? Because two of my best friends, Becky and Tashana, are thinking about becoming Muslims. Who's been talking to them? New kids in the neighborhood, a boy and his sister. Have you told your friends about Jesus? Not yet. Maybe I'd better, right? Your friends are in danger, Susie. Why, Grandpa? Because those girls are about to be sucked into a very dangerous religion called Islam. Since it started to spread into our neighborhood, I'll tell you what I know. In Islam, their number one holy book is the Quran, and they call their god Allah. The big man who set it up is called the Prophet Muhammad. Their number two most holy writings are called the Hadith, and it tells all about Muhammad. He taught and did some strange things, Susie. Your little friends must hear about him before they become Muslims. I'm all ears, Grandpa. The God of Islam is not the God of the Bible. Listen very carefully, Susie. You must know these things. Okay, Grandpa. The next day, Susie went by her friend Becky's home to inquire about having a confabulation between them. Hi, Susie. They're in a backyard talking to Amir and his sister. Thank you, Mrs. Davidson. Hiya, Susie. This is Amir and his sister, Sophia. Amir is teaching us how to say the words to become Muslims. What you say is, La ilaha illa al- No! Becky, Tishana, stop! Don't ever say those words! Why did you stop them? Because I have many questions. The Quran is your most holy book, right? Yes, it is. Then your second most holy writings are called the Hadith, right? This is true. I am amazed you know this. Muhammad is a prophet, and a prophet cannot lie, right? Correct. Mohammed never told a lie. Amir, Sophia, we're leaving for the airport right now. Come on home. But I am not finished. Yes, you are. Let's go. Amir and his non-speaking sister obediently left Becky's yard, and once the actual practitioners of Islam were out of earshot, Susie began to tell Becky and Tashana what that religion was all about. Amir told us about wonderful Muhammad. He was a man of God. He never lied. Oh, really? Let me tell you a few things about him. Adam was the first man of Earth. Mohammed said he was 90 feet tall. That's a lie! Yes, it is. But it's in their holy hadith. Want to know more? Mohammed said Allah once turned some Jews into rats and other times into pigs and monkeys. That isn't nice! He's a man of God? Mohammed also had 16 wives and two slave women. He owned slaves? Yep, and guess how old his youngest wife was? I don't know, maybe 16? How old are you, Tishana? I'm 8. 
He got engaged to a girl who was six years old and married her when she was nine. Yuck! That's gross. That makes me want to throw up. Only a dirty old man would do a terrible thing like that to a little girl. The prophet Muhammad did. He was a pedophile. His God is not the God of the Bible. But Amir told us that Allah is God, and Muhammad is his prophet. That's not true. Long ago in Arabia, people worshipped an idol called the Moon God. This Moon God was married to the Sun Goddess, and they had three daughters. Do you know who the Moon God is? The Moon God is Allah. That's why the crescent is on their mosques and flags. There's no way his prophet Muhammad can get you to heaven. His body's still in the grave. But when Jesus died, it's a different story. They put his body in the grave, and three days later, he rose up from the dead. Over five hundred people saw him. Wow! How could he do that? Because Jesus is really God, Becky. Don't you know about him? No, not really. If he is God, we'd better find out about him. Before time was, God the Father asked Jesus the Son to do a really big job to create the universe in six days, not millions of years like our teacher said. Wow! Did Jesus do it? Yes, he did. On the sixth day, he created animals, including dinosaurs. Also, Adam, the first man. Jesus created the universe. Allah and Muhammad had nothing to do with it. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, they ruined any chance of us getting into heaven because God the Father won't let sin into heaven. The Bible says, "For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God." All mankind was lost, so God gave Jesus another job: to leave heaven and become a man. And die for our sins. Only Jesus could do that for us. The Holy Ghost came upon a young virgin named Mary, and she became pregnant. When the child was born, it was Jesus. When he grew up, he warned us about hell, and this is what he did to save us from going there. He allowed himself to be nailed to a cross for us. He shed his precious blood, God's blood, to wash away our sins. He died. But three days later, he rose from the dead, so we could go to heaven. If you believe Jesus died for you and ask him to forgive your sins, you'll be saved. But if you don't believe him, you'll die in your sins. It's that simple. So, do you want Jesus or Mohammed? My goodness, we almost became Muslims, Susie. I want Jesus. What do we have to do? Ask him to forgive your sins and become your savior and lord forever. And that's what Becky and Ashana did. Wow! I'm saved. We're going to heaven now. I love Jesus. I never want to sin again. Oh, those poor Muslims—they're being lied to. Yes, because of Muhammad's false teachings. We must pray for them. The end. Um, that's the tract. Uh. The Little Bride. Uh, again, I just want to say these are not the views of uh, WHRW or of the management or even of me. Or most people. Or most people. Most yeah. reasonable people. So most They are of people. me. Well, hold on. We'll me get to that too. in a minute. Okay. All right. So now we're going to debate the, uh, the, the truth behind this uh, tract, so to speak. Um, 
All right. So, as always, we have a debate. Uh, we've got a couple of guests lined up who have been preparing for days, uh, studying up on their doing research for this debate, uh, and that will come to fruition tonight. Uh, by the way, does anybody have a coin? Because I don't have a coin. Does it? Okay, nobody has a coin. That's really... Nope. You don't oh. need a coin. You have oh, Jesus's hand to we guide one. you. We got one. We got one. All right, uh, so let me introduce debater number one. Uh, debater number one, uh, can I ask your name? I am the sun goddess. The sun goddess. Thank yes. you. Thank you for coming. Uh, we've heard a lot about you. Thank you. And debater number two. Hi. Hi, uh, can you introduce yourself, please? I am the inaudible man. The inaudible man. Uh, that's not going to work for me. Oh. Can you can you become audible? <clears throat> well, hold on. Okay. Hello, how are you? Hi there. Uh, are you still called the inaudible man, or? Well, obviously not. Now I'm the audible man. The audible man. Nice, nice to hear from you. No pun intended. All right. Um, now, as I'm sure you all could have guessed beforehand, the. Uh, the Inaudible Man says this tract is true, and uh, the Sun Goddess here says this tract is absolutely false in every way possible. So I do. So, um, Sun Goddess, you get to uh, start us off on this debate and tell us why this is false, and then we'll <coughs> let the uh, Audible Man re... I almost said regurgitate, but I meant to say rebut. Thank you, Mr. Allen. Uh, first of all, I would like to say it is, it is a divine pleasure for me to be here today, and... Uh, this tract has a number of, of gaping holes in its logic. First of all, I, I am many billions of years old, and I have seen great religions come and great religions go, but I have never, ever met this Allah person. I have never met a moon god. I certainly was never married wait, to a moon god. Okay, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. So you're saying this is not true because there's no such thing as Allah? No, no, I'm sure there's an Allah somewhere, but I'm, I'm not married to him. Oh, I don't okay. know him. So there, you're saying, there is no moon god. So if there is an Allah, it's not a moon god. Oh, certainly the moon's just a rock. So you're agnostic as as on the views of whether there's. An I Allah am or the not. sun. I grow your food, and you reject me. What could I say? So you're agnostic. Yes. Okay. Uh, all right. Uh, that's pretty powerful stuff, uh, Mister Audible, Audible Man, Mister Man, Audi. What can I call you? Just the Audible Man should be fine. Just the Audible Man. It's your your turn to rebut. Not regurgitate. Uh, don't please don't because I ate all this Italian no, no, food we just beforehand. Cleaned, we just cleaned, just rebuttal curses. Okay, let me get my notes. First of all, if you've never been married to this Allah person, then why do I have this marriage certificate from the state of Wisconsin stating that you, sun goddess, and a moon god referred to herein as Allah are no, wait, married? Hold on, when you say referred to herein, do you mean uh, as in from now on you're going to call him Allah, or that's what it says on the thing? That's what it says on the thing. Because they can't hear, they can't see it back home. Can you read it to us? <clears throat> With or so forth, in the state of Wisconsin, on the dates kind of scratched out. I imagine it was a long time ago. It's a very faded document, but the state of Wisconsin recognizes the marriage of a sun goddess and a moon god. I assume the A stands for Allah here, since well, in the it, signature. It yes, could down here. All right. Uh, well, what what? Come, this new evidence that's come to light, what do you say to that? Well, first of all, the moon, as a piece of unliving rock, is as far beneath my station, my exalted burningness, as an ant would be below yours. It would be like me marrying an ant. Surely, surely this was some imposter. Or a Wait, forgery. Wait, hold on, hold on. I think that there's a flaw in your uh, analogy there, because you just said you marrying the moon is like you marrying an ant. 
Which is, how can, that I, means a moon and the ant are the exact same thing, because you and you are the exact same thing. I marrying the moon would be like one of you marrying, one of us marrying an insect. An okay, yes, that's, that's a little correct. different. No, all you didn't. Oh, I'm sorry, we have an expert here. Uh, go ahead. I'm the moon goddess. Wait, hold on. There's a moon goddess and a moon god? There ain't no moon god, baby. I'm is a that, goddess. I don't think this is legal in Wisconsin. <laughs> I'm a goddess. That would explain the... Yes, there is a scratch mark over it. Hmm. Weird. No, uh -huh. no, no. We were never married. Then what's this, this record? Listen, I courted her for a while. She rejected me. I do well, not what is this? You. What is this license there? You rejected her, you heartless bitch. I do well, not look, well, remember look. this peon, on, this insignificant on. worm, baby, this heartbreaker. Baby, baby, I love you. <laughs> go and go and 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 crash into something, you baby, pathetic ball of baby. I'm sorry I forged a marriage document, but I love you. You are dead matter to me. All right, me. hold on, hold on. We do have a, we do have someone else who wants to say something. Hello, I am Doctor Player from the University of Studies. Um, I do believe that this moon goddess is a fraud. However, I believe the, whatever the, whoever that, whoever the wench was that was talking earlier, I believe she is also incorrect. The moon, the moon goddess. I mean, the sun goddess. Whoever she is. The moon is not a rock. The moon is made out of meatballs. I'm sorry, meatballs? I ain't no meatball chump! The moon is a creature of dead matter without feelings, emotions, or regrets. Baby. Man, you're a jerk. Plus that is all I have to say. That the breadcrumbs are the, the key particles that hold the all moon right. together. All right, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold uh, on. Now, this this uh, this marriage thing is uh, is interesting, but I do want to get back to this matter of uh, Islam. Because here here's the part I don't understand. Uh, Mr. Audible Man. Yes? Uh, you, in this tract, Susie is talking about how true it is that Jesus uh, came back from the dead. She totally is. And she says, oh, um, Jesus came back and 500 people saw him. Now, here's the thing. That would be very persuasive if that meant that we had 500 accounts of Jesus being alive. But in fact, what she really means is there's one account that says that 500 people saw her. Saw him, I'm sorry. Excuse me, Mr. Allen. I'm sorry, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I happen to be an expert on petitions, and I have this ancient petition that has 500 signatures of people who say they saw Jesus rise from the dead. Let me look at that. Well, Wait as you'll on, see, the first on. name is uh, Seymour Butts, now, followed by real. Amanda Hug and Kiss. This, these aren't real. These aren't uh, real names. How would you suggest that? And then I.P. Freely. These are not Aramaic. And here's No, the no, they've thing. been translated. And here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. This is a petition. This says that they were petitioning. They want Jesus. These are 500 people who want Jesus to rise from the grave. It's a petition. My goodness, the lucky man. It's not a sworn, uh, you know, thing. Are you implying that Jesus, the Savior, would be so uncouth as to not respond to his adoring public? I'm saying... This, this was written before he rose from the dead, and then they were all there to see it. Look, I've signed about 300 petitions to bring John Lennon back from the dead, and he still is not back, and he loved his fans. John Lennon is a little bit more of a prima donna than the son of God, wouldn't you say? No, he was after Mary. Mary was before John Lennon. Ah. Uh... This sounds to me like a recipe for heartbreak. I wish to go back and burn in the skies again. No, hold on, hold on. Don't go yet, because we do want to finish this debate. Okay, um... All right, why don't you, we'll do our closing arguments. You can close your arguments about uh, how this is not true, and then we'll let uh, Mr. Audible Man do his thing. There is no reason to believe that this Allah and this Jesus were in any way, shape, or form greater men than one another, or this Allah and this God, 
or this Jesus and this... Muhammad. Muhammad. Thank you very much. No problem. For I am the son, and surely... Wait, if I thought I you had, were a woman. That's right. Then how are you a son? Son in the sense of star, you worthless little peon. Oh, now, come on. <laughs> Obviously, your intellectual scope is not wide enough... On what? ...to encompass me, but I say that if a... Mortal being had indeed risen from the dead. I, from my celestial viewpoint, would certainly have seen it, and I did not. What if it happened at night? Epitome. My astronomy records do not indicate the sun can observe things. This woman is lying. I do believe that your astronomy records are incorrect, and Jesus supposedly rose in the morning, in which if, case I would have been in full view. But if the sun has eyes, wouldn't they get burned up? The sun has better ways of seeing than eyes. Haven't you ever been to a psychic fair? No. <laughs> Was I supposed to? They didn't book Yeah, me. yeah. All right, hold on. Now we get to Mr. Audible. I no longer Audible. wish to speak to you. Mr. Audible that gets to uh, finish. I would argue, first, that Jesus is Lord, and second, that this sun goddess lady is full of hot air. <laughs> that is the oldest and crappiest trick in the book. I'm going back to my place Wait, in the hold sky. On. I didn't solve the debate yet. I have to see who well, won the Well, hurry debate. up, All right, puny mortal. Ready? Um, it turns out that the sun goddess is right. Holy crap. Um, Allah, Jesus, Muhammad, and uh, everybody else apparently are equal, and uh, Jesus didn't rise, and the sun can see psychically. I'm going to have to go make another petition. That's probably for the best, because I don't know if I want the sun watching me at all times. Uh, sorry, Mr. Audible Man, uh, I'm afraid you can go back to being unaudible. You can see an everything, huh? Can you see this? Punk. Zip. I'm naked. And inaudible. The sun sees greater perverts than you every day. I return to set the earth a spin again. Goodbye. Uh, and with that, the sun is uh, back in the sky, even though it's nighttime, and the moon is gone as well. It looks like yeah, it's just yeah. me and uh, uh, this uh, scientist here. What was your name again? My name is Dr. Player. Uh, Dr. Player, it was nice having you. Uh, why don't you go back to your studies? Your studies of studies. I do not appreciate your condescending tone. Okay, well, uh, it looks like we've learned a lot about uh, the sun and the moon and the earth and the players. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. But the, the point is, uh, I hope this has been another satisfying episode of Tractor Fiction. Enjoy. Talk to you next week. This is Frank Allen, signing off. <laughs>
from a cat in the dark. Hello and welcome to Scapey Stories from a Cat in the Dark. My name is Jordan D. White and this is the segment in which my cat, Scape, reads a scary story to someone. Filling in for the someone part this week is Mr. Harry Wilson. That's right. Welcome to uh, Scapey Stories from a Cat in the Dark presented by Harry Wilson, the toot janitor of Harry Wilson advises you. And also you may recall me from Harry Wilson continues to advise you. And I'm pleased to present Scape with the story of... Uh, uh, proper dental hygiene and uh, scary elements. No, uh, no, it's it's not about teeth. It's about scary fangs. Uh, scary fangs, exactly. No, scary things. Scary things. Basically, yes. Things that are scary. Okay, not teeth, but other f- stuff. Okay, so... Well, of course, there's other stuff apart from teeth. Uh, you, you have to vary things up. Teeth, something else. Teeth, teeth. Maybe another thing. Fangs, something else, and some teeth. Maybe. Um, no, but uh, story time. So, I'm gonna tell you a story, okay? Right. And you get to listen. Let me know if you have any questions, alright? Okay. This one is called Coffins for Two by Vincent Starrett. So, uh, like, once upon a time, there was a guy walking, and he went around the corner, and he walked into another guy, and they went, oh my god, what, what are you doing here? That is so crazy. You know, if you walk right into another guy, it's always a good idea to make sure your breath is good, because your face is going to be right up against him, You start off with a good impression. See, this guy doesn't even know him, he's probably going to think he's got bad breath. No, that's why you're wrong. They knew each other. It was like, oh my god, I haven't seen you in years. That's so crazy. It's so good to see you. I missed you. Oh my god. Craziness. Weird. Weird. And they were so, basically, they were so happy to see each other. They were just like totally going crazy. Like, oh my god. <laughs> pat, pat, pat. Pat on the back. Like, so happy. They're both named Pat? No, no, no. They, uh, they have names that are other things. But people are like walking by going like, huh, weird. Those guys are happy. <laughs> What's that all about? And so they're just like, whoa, how did you like that? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Been so young. And so, uh, they were like, well, come, let's go get something to drink or something. And he's like, okay, totally, let's do that. And so they, uh, you know, they are walking around like, like, super happy, like, and again, everybody's like, whoa. And so they go into, like, a tea place to get tea. <laughs> Which uh, stains your teeth, by the way, if you drink too much of it. Tea, this is probably going to be the scary part of the story, is going to be their downfall once they reach the apotheosis of their sin with drinking teeth-staining liquids like tea, coffee, hot chocolate, ink, all stain the teeth, make them black or dark-colored of other varieties. No, 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 they're not going to do... They, well, you see, you see, it's not about the stain. It's about some other stuff, you see. So, they're right. Like, oh man, it's so good to see you, man. It's like awesome. And the other ones are like, yeah, totally awesome. Like, it's been so young, old chap. It can also give you chap lips from drinking too much tea because it's not pure water, lip balm, or whatever. Lip hygiene also important. I'm not the lip janitor, but I can tell you from proximity, which is in great closeness to the teeth, are the lips of the human being. So the more you keep your lips in good repair, the better you are to the general mouth and speaking, eating, breathing area, the better your teeth will be. Where they were, they were speaking. They were speaking to each other. I knew it was related. So, 
the waitress is like, do you guys want something? And they're like, yeah, get us some, some tea, please. And so they're like, oh man, you remember the time when we did stuff and it was cool? And he was like, yes, I do. And uh, he's like, so are you like married or what? And he's like, no, I'm not married. Ha 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 ha. Are you married? No, you're clearly not married. Ha ha ha. So then they're just again chatting. Do, 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 and they're like, oh man, it's just so good. It's just so good to see you. Huh. The number one people, by the way, aren't married is because they can't attract members of the opposite sex. Bad breath, ugly teeth, or other varieties of bad tooth hygiene it repel members of the opposite sex and the same sex. For people who don't want to be married or they want to be married to members of the same sex also have trouble if they don't brush their teeth. Well, these guys were not getting married to each other. They were just having tea. Yeah, but not yet. She was, she didn't bring it yet. So they're like, oh gosh, just, you know, just so good. But do you remember when we stopped being friends a long time ago? Oh man, that was crazy. And the other one's like, yeah, I'm sorry. That was just, that was silly. Whatever happened to that girl that we fought over, huh? And the other one's like, well, she, she was, she's like, she's like famous now. And she's like, is like an actress or something. And the other one's like, oh man, she's like an actress. That's crazy. Uh, oh, I sometimes think about it. That's crazy. No, we should go see her on a show. And the first one's like, well, you know, no reason to do that. We, we're happy now. And, and, and the other one's like, yeah, she's, hey man, she's, I was pretty upset when she dumped me for you. Cause I was like, I really, I really liked her. And then she met you and she was like, I like this guy better. Well, he probably had better teeth. That's the number one cause of the, uh, people, unresolved relationships who are, are no longer, uh, together or bonded are dissolved because of the bad teeth. Women are unable to kiss people who have rotten teeth without falling into a well of disgust. Well, this doesn't say what their teeth looked like. Maybe if they did a movie about this story, you could see their teeth and see. But we don't know whose teeth are better. All we know is he was like, oh, she left me for you. That was crazy. And the other one's like, oh, you're just, you're flattering me. And he's like, well, you know, I mean, I guess, yeah, she dumped you too, so <laughs> never mind. And he's like, yeah, well, shut up, okay. And he's like, yeah, you know, that girl, she was crazy. She was playing games. She wrote me a letter one time, and I was like, whatever, I'm busy. <laughs> oh, she wrote, and then I was like, oh, she wrote me a letter too, yeah. And I was like, wow. And he was like, she wrote you a letter too? That's, man, she's playing games. That's crazy. She's playing games. Oh, she was playing games with us. And the other one's like, well, maybe she's still playing games. When did you get your letter? And the first guy was like, well, uh, what do you mean? And he's like, well, uh, I got a letter, like, just a little while ago. Right, right before, that's why I jumped on a boat and I came right here right now. Because I got a letter. And the other one's like... Wait, he jumped on a boat because he got a letter? He got a letter from the girl saying, come to see me, you see? And he got on the boat to the town where the girl was because he got the letter. Yeah. He probably learned that he started brushing his teeth better. Well, we don't know. So, but then the other guy goes, oh, dude, I got a letter, too. Like two weeks ago, saying to come today to, to see her, and I'm supposed to be there in like rest in an hour. So, <laughs> and the other guy's like, "Whoa, that, what? That's not good. You don't, no, 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 no. You don't get to go see her." And he's like, "Oh 
I'll go see her. I'm gonna. And they're like, and both of them start getting really angry. And they're like, that's my girlfriend. You don't get to. So then one of them says, all right, look, you just give it up on her. And he's like, no, I don't want to give up. And he's like, all right, do you want to make a bet? Uh, And he's like, what kind of bet? And the waitress is like, here's your tea. At some point, I don't know, because the tea's there, okay? The tea's there now. Do they put sugar in the tea? No. Good. I can tell that these people are good people. They're at the right track. Well, instead of putting sugar in, one of them says, I have some poison. And I was to put some poison in one of the teas. Watch. And he puts poison in one of the teas. Well, that's even worse for your health than than, than bad teeth. Well, yeah. But only one of them does he put poison in. Which one? Well, just, I don't know, the one on the left. So, so the other guy says, well, how do, what do we do? How do we swap around? And the first guy's like, well, I'll leave, I'll leave the room, and you swap him around, and then you leave the room, and I'll swap him around, and then we'll both drink, and whoever dies doesn't get to go with the girl. Well, obviously he doesn't get to go with the girl, because he did. One thing girls like less than men with rotten teeth is ones who are dead already. Well, because if you have dead, then you get rotten herself, like a zombie. But... So here's what happened. Actually, the teeth remain after death, but if they were rotten while you're alive, they're still bad when you're dead. But one thing that remains after you're dead is your teeth. So if you want to be a good-looking skeleton with intact incisors and manicured molars, the thing you have to do is maintain your teeth while alive so you look good dead. Well, but everybody's scared of skeletons, so it doesn't make a difference. So let me tell you what happens. So the first guy, like I said, he poisons one, the one on the left, and then he goes, all right, we're going to swap. So he leaves the room. And the other guy goes, okay, he left the room. <laughs> and he reaches into his pocket and he takes out some other powder and he puts it in the one on the right. Then he swaps him around like he's supposed to. And he, the other guy comes back and he's like, uh, yeah, okay, I'm done. And then the, 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 the other guy leaves and uh, he's more swapping around. And they both come back and they sit down and they go, all right, let's have a drink of tea. And one of them is poisoned. <laughs> and they drink the tea. And so, uh, so the second guy's like, so what's going to happen? And the first guy's like, well, uh, what's going to happen is, uh, you're going to, like, get tired and you it will just feel like you're falling asleep, but you really die. And he goes, what do you mean? What do you mean me? It could be either one of us. He goes, no, I was cheating. Uh, I knew which one I was going to drink out of because it had a real chip on it. And I was like, haha, I can see which one. <laughs> Wait, he's not going to brush his teeth when he feels tired before he goes to sleep. No, no, he, they're not going to go to sleep, they're going to die. But he said, I know which cup was poison because it was the one that wasn't chipped. Ah, uh, well, you see, you get a chip because you don't have enough enamel. If you bite into something hard, then uh, you get a chip in it, and no. you have to have it go to a dentist to get it covered up again. No, no, not a chip of the teeth, a chip of the cup. Well, I don't know why they get chipped. Okay, well, that's all right. But this guy's like, I know, I drank out of the one that's not poisoned because it had a real chip on it, and I, I cheated. And the second guy goes, well, <laughs> actually, I poisoned that one too. So, you really didn't cheat. You're, really, you're gonna die. So, it would just feel like you're falling asleep too. And the guy's like, what? What, what do you mean you put? And he's like, well, here's the thing. I didn't really get a letter from her. I just was really jealous when you said you got a letter from her. So, uh, I was actually really sad and around and I was gonna kill myself with this poison. But now we're both dying instead. And the first guy goes, uh, well, I didn't really get a letter either. I was just trying to show off. So, you're right. We'll both die. And he's like, yeah, it's okay, though, because we'll be 
we were really good friends, and we'll be good friends in the afterlife, anyways. And the guy's like, yeah, you're probably right. And uh, then they both died, and the waitress was like, oh my god, they died. I can't believe they were fighting over some stupid girl, she says to the police. Because there's other girls like me, whatever. And uh, well, you know why people don't get noticed? Why? Well, it's because they have plain, dirty teeth, not white and shiny. You get shining teeth is flashing uh, with the light reflecting. You notice that person immediately with the good teeth. Waitress probably didn't have that working in a coffee shop or a tea shop drinking tea and coffee. Make the teeth the wrong color. Well, they died, so it doesn't matter. So they're not going to notice her now. So, uh... A little while later, uh, two ghosts, uh, like, ran into a funeral parlor holding hands, skipping, and were like, Coffins for two, please! <laughs> the end. Well, that's a very in uh, instructive story. I, uh, I think that uh, I've chosen a good segment for uh, Harry Wilson, the Toot Janitor, presents Scapes Stories of Hygiene for the Teeth. So remember, ladies and gentlemen, from me, Harry Wilson, your Toot Janitor, and mine, that if your teeth are so bad that you cause a woman to leave you, you might be thrown into so much despair that you cause your former friend to die and end up in the grave with him. That's the consequences of the hole you could dig yourself, the cavity in which you could be thrown, so to speak, like a hole, by having poor tooth hygiene. Uh, well, uh, I don't really know if that's what it's about. I think that's not what it's about, actually. Uh, How often do cats brush their teeth? Cats? You mean me? Yes. Never. That is why you don't understand the importance of tooth hygiene. How many girlfriends have you had? Just one. And? She's a stuffed animal. Stuffed animals are incapable of appreciating tooth hygiene the way a person or a non-stuffed animal could. Well, she doesn't have any teeth, so yeah, but... What does she have to brush then? She does, just fur. Oh, well that's a sad life. No, it's okay, she's fine. She just stays where I tell her, I put her prices, and then I pick her up and move her. But look, the scary part of this story is different. The scary part of this story is, uh, your friend could poison. You. Because you're both so sad about the woman that left you, probably because of your bad teeth. Well, I don't, it didn't, like I said, it didn't say anything about teeth. Sometimes things are written between the lines. Like, like, how? You have to interpret the subtext of the story. Is that she left him, why would she leave someone probably bad teeth? Especially if they're always drinking tea like that. Well, they, well, they only drank tea one time in the story, and they died. So, if you extrapolate, they probably never drank tea before. Well, it shows the bad consequences of drinking tea. It could lead to bad teeth or death. Maybe, but, you know, but it, it probably would kill you. If your friend poisons you, you only need one time and you're dead. Well, anyway, the important thing is make a good impression so you make friends good enough that they don't kill you with good teeth. They don't kill you with good teeth? If you have good teeth, you make good friends, you impress good people, they're not the kind of people that murder you. Well, I would use my teeth to kill things instead of impressing. It's harder to kill things with weak teeth that have rotted away. Sir, but it's easy to kill things with my teeth. Anyway, look, point is... 
poison is dangerous, watch out, because your friend might poison you. If you ever get in a fight with your friends, don't drink their tea, is I think the message here. I can agree with that. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. This is Harry Wilson, the Toot Janitor. Bye for this week. See you again soon. No, but it's my show. My show. I get to say bye. You don't get to say bye. Okay. This is Harry Wilson, the Toot Janitor. Not goodbye. That's, that's right. Scapey is the one who says goodbye on Scapey Stories. Goodbye. Very good, very good, Scapey. That's that's actually impressive how he was actually right. What do you mean? It wasn't about teeth. Well, no, no, but early at the beginning when they said they ordered tea or they went to a tea shop or whatever, he said that the tea would be their utter downfall and he was right. Well, yeah, but it's like a coincidence that he was right. Well, yeah, but he was right. Yeah, but he didn't know what he was talking about. He was talking nonsense and coincidentally. It's like when Rory's right about stuff. I'm, so, I'm sorry. No, what? That's not... I was... Well, I don't even know why you brought me into this, but you're wrong. Whatever it is you were implying about me is wrong. Well, no. So anyway, uh, no, Dad, the tea, yeah, the tea killed him, but that's not, like, the point. The point is the poison. Okay, okay, escape. Um, speaking of poison, not really, this is uh, Guard Duty, and if you remember, in the last issue of Guard Duty, issue, in the last episode of Guard Duty, the guard went on strike. So, uh, as you know, Guard Duty always takes place in the Guard Tower, so that means this episode, there's nobody in the Guard Tower. Enjoy. The Earth Guard. The planet's most powerful heroes united in the common goal of protecting the innocent people of planet Earth and defending them from threats of all kinds. From the Guard Tower, their base of operations, they watch over the citizens and spring into action at any sign of danger. That end, the guard takes shifts monitoring events all over the globe. Sooner or later, they all have to take a shift of guard duty. This week, the Earth Guard in First Strike. been uh, four hours since the government officially released a statement revealing that the Earth Guard, the planet's most powerful heroes, have gone on strike. The president has officially declared the strike illegal and unjust, and as the country holds its breath in anticipation of an attack from one of the Earth Guard's many opponents, popular opinion is overwhelmingly against the Guard. Dana DeZago reports. Strike! A method for unionized workers to gain leverage against their management. But when the Earth Guard, America's only real defense against superhuman threats, goes on strike, the country is left defenseless. The president has called the Guard unpatriotic and has called for an immediate end to the strike. The American people seem to agree. They're just being selfish. They want, what, free health care? If I don't get health care, why should they? I don't know what they expect us to do. We can't stop their villains ourselves. They're gonna get innocent people killed. Who are they trying to hurt? Because it's us, the regular people, who are going to suffer because of this, not the bigwigs. Way to go. Get John Q. Public killed because of a beef you've got with Uncle Sam. Yet even in the face of danger, some cling to the guards' heroic image. They have rights, too. 
It's completely unconstitutional of this government to declare their strike illegal. The workers have rights, and that's what the Earth Guard are in this instance. If they feel they're being mistreated, a strike is their right. The Guard wouldn't abandon us. It's probably some sort of trick to trap one of the bad guys. Maybe to lure out one of the guys who broke out of the powerhouse yesterday. They won't let us down. Despite these pockets of support, however, the overall feeling is one of distrust. How can you be a hero if you put people in the line of fire this way? It's like some sort of protection racket. I used to be a fan of the Earth Guard, but if they would just betray us like this, they're not acting like heroes. They're acting like bullies. Mistreated heroes or selfish bullies, one thing is certain. The Earth God's strike has left the country vulnerable to attack, and it may be only a matter of time before the attack comes. Of course they're going to attack. The villains aren't stupid. Now that they know that the Guard is on strike, they're going to hit us hard. It's completely irresponsible of the Guard to strike like this. They pretty much assured we're going to get hit by the bad guys. They might as well have attacked us themselves. This is Dana DeZago for WHRW News. Frank? Thank you, Dana. I turn now to Warren Grant, the Earth Guard's liaison within this administration, a key player in negotiating the Guard's contract. He comes to us via satellite from Washington, D.C. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Mr. Grant, you were with the Guard when they declared the strike. It was you who was in the negotiations with them, correct? Yes, I met with the Stallion and Broadband yesterday in a meeting they called to discuss our contracts. So what happened in these negotiations to spark the strike? In actuality, there were no negotiations. I came to that meeting in good faith, ready to discuss things. The Guard, on the other hand, had already held a secret meeting and decided on the strike. They came to the table with an ultimatum. Where I was willing to cooperate, they were stubborn, unbending. They flat out told me that if I didn't meet their demands to the letter, they would put our country at risk by going on strike. What exactly were they asking for? They made demands for a number of costly expenditures. They demanded universal health care. They demanded compensation for wages lost in their secret personal lives. On their word, they won't tell us who they are or what these jobs are, but they want us to take their word and compensate them for them. Some would argue, as I'm sure the Guard themselves are, uh, that the service they provide is invaluable and that these would seem small concessions in return. Our country is currently at war, and during wartime, people need to make sacrifices for the greater good. But here the Earth Guard has decided that they, few, are more important than the safety and security of our nation. We're facing record deficits and they want us to spend more on them. They aren't the only government program that faces cutbacks but they're the only one that feels so self-important as to blackmail our nation. I'm sorry, but I don't think nine people, no matter how important, are worth putting America at risk. So these are benefits the government used to cover? Well, when Davis Moore gave the Guard these provisions, he was banking on a surplus that we have learned since didn't arrive. In his willingness to throw taxpayers' money around, yes, he granted this coverage. But it's a luxury we cannot afford to continue to lavish them with, heroes or no. So I take it the government is not planning to give in to the Earth Guard's demands? Under no circumstances. You don't get your way by breaking the law. We consider this strike completely illegal. We're not even going to consider negotiating with the Guard again until they call the strike off. Once that is done, we can come back to the table and talk. Otherwise, I'm afraid the Guard has I'm sorry, uh, Mr. Grant, I have to cut you off there. Thank you for coming. This just did an attack in White Plains, New York. The villain attractor, the self-titled Master of Magnetism, appears to have lifted an entire office building into the air. The villain escaped from the powerhouse yesterday after being held for only one day. He seems to have grabbed the headquarters of the IT company Information Management Systems and lifted them into the sky above the downtown cityscape. We are, uh, yes, we're now getting a feed from the scene of a, 
of a tractor himself from the sky outside the building. Uh, do we have sound on that? We do. Let's listen to that. You have too long mocked me. But where are your Earth Guard now? Logging signal to the jet. You. Hello? And now, now Hello? is the time for my revenge. I demand $100 million, or this building and everyone inside it gets smashed into the town hall. Jesus! You have one hour, and in the meantime, I will amuse myself with this. Okay, a tractor appears to be pulling someone out of the building. Um, a woman, apparently. Do we have a close-up here? It appears to be uh, an Asian woman. It's not clear uh, what he intends to do. This little lady is named Barbara. Barbara Nibai, say hello, Barbara. Let me go, you monster. Of course, you all know Barbara, but perhaps you don't recognize her. Last time you saw us together, she looked more like this. Ah! A tractor just broke the woman's arm with, uh, it looks like a parking meter. I... Ladies and gentlemen, I give you binary girl. Oh, half of her anyway, but don't get too attached. This one's not going to live long. Do your worst, you filth. Oh, I fully intend to. And there's not going to be anyone to save you. The police can't stop me. I dropped the building. And we both know your friends aren't going to be showing up anytime soon. Don't so be so sure, Tractor. The Jack of the Earth Guard has arrived on the scene. Jack! What are you doing here, you pathetic child? Let her go. Turn yourself in. Is that supposed to be a joke? I had to give you a chance to do the right thing. You've got to be kidding. What do you think you can do here? Even if you could stop me, what? You going to catch the building and the girl yourself? I won't have to. I have faith in the guard. Logging <laughs> signal to the stallion. You're an idiot. Hello? And always have been. Hello? Is anyone oh, there? Oh, God. The, a tractor's grabbed the jack with his magnetic powers, Crap. wrapping guard, some sort of priority. metal pieces of the building around his hands and feet. Get to the jack Don't worry, and Barbara, get us out of this. Yeah, that's We're reassuring. On the job. Jack, Move. you have to be the most ridiculous member of the guard. Without your little balls or tricks, you've got nothing. No powers, no super strength, nothing. I don't even know why they let you on the... Ah! Oh, you bastard! Oh, a, a tractor has dropped them all. The jack flicked some sort of little wooden square into a tractor's eyes, and now the building and the two heroes are... Wait, they're safe! The Earth Guard is on the scene! Barbara! You okay, Jack? Dr. Fast has caught the jack, and Peace Blossom has caught Binary Girl, who she appears to be kissing, while the office building is... My fleet of butterflies has caught the building. You take a tractor. You ready to meet and greet with my fists and feet, a tractor? Oh, that's it! I'm going to kill you with my bare hands! Earthguard, take this bastard down! The entire Earthguard has entered into the fray against the tractor. He appears to be, yes, picking up cars off the street with people still inside, and he's just throwing them at the guard. Voodoo Lady appears to be catching them and setting them down, but I've got to tell you, folks, I have no idea what's going to happen. I knew you'd do it, Chuck. Guard Duty by Jordan D. White, with Michael D. Bukowski as the narrator, Daniel Schwartz as Dr. Fast, Jordan D. White as the Jack, Rich Bellin as the Stallion, Angela Tymon as Peas Blossom, Elijah Weberhan as Mr. Fahrenheit, Lynn Nelson as Binary Girl, Nicholas Roach as Captain Fantasy, Jacob Thompson as Warren Grant, Lynn Nelson as Dana Dezago, Justin Haar as Attractor, Samuel Thomason, Patrick Ganan, Angela Tymon, Jordan D. White, Devin White, and Gabriel Harrison as Interviewees, Fong Wayne Wong as Pearl, and Frank Allen as The Newscaster, with theme song by Michael D. Mikowski. And that brings us to the end of our show. We've already read our listener mail, and that was the only piece of listener mail we got, so that we don't even have to have a listener mail section. But I got to say, 
sing. Yes, I said you get to sing. Um, Scape, sing a song for us. But preferably, can you sing us a song about asking them to write into us at our email, which is castandwax at gmail.com? Oh, yeah, I could do that. Okay, here we go. Oh, woe is me, no email to be found. Why don't you write me that sure sounds good? You email me at castingwax at gmail.com Or else this axe will chop off your head And then you'll be dead and dead is how you don't want to be that that's some strong persuasion. You're going to chop off the heads of everyone who doesn't. I mean, that's. I would say most people in the world probably won't write into us. So that's a lot of heads you have to chop off. Well, Dad, it's a fiction song. It's not. I didn't say my name is Scapy during the song. Yeah, but everybody knows your name, Scapy. Yeah, but I'm saying the song could be from Mr. Axeman. Well, is it? Well, it didn't say. But I don't ha- look. I don't have to follow through. But then, then why should anybody write in if you don't gonna not gonna follow through? Well, I might follow. Look, just everybody should write. Okay, here's a new song. Write into us, write into us. No, Scape, you don't need a second song. Just everybody write into us, castinwax at gmail.com, and you can write to myself, you can write to Scapey. Preferably Scapey. You can write into Rory. Yes, of course, and, and, and I will do extra historical readings if you ask me to. Yes, apparently he will. And that is about that. So thank you for listening again, and um, see you next week. We will be seeing you. Wax work should be what you seek The first Monday of each week Or you won't be very pleased with what I'll do Make you swallow powdered glass Pull your intestines out your ass And some other things that seem unpleasant too Cause there is quite a lot of wax on that Some people say it wings, but we shall eat the brains and kick them in the crotches too. For everyone should love this one, this website, everybody and their mom. Don't make me say it again, you've got till the count of ten. Get your com. On the next episode of Cast and Wax... Pandora Darling returns in the first episode of Like Daughter. Welcome back, Pandora. We missed you. Thanks. It's good to get out of the house. And good to be where you belong, eh? What do you mean? Well, dancing with me, of course. Oh, wow. In Epic Echoes, the surviving members of the flashback find an interesting museum exhibit. That's us in there! That's nothing! Read the plaque! The remains of the enemies of the Empire... Tritorious Flashpack and their homosexual leader Max Thornfield. See, they thought he was gay too. Forget that. And on Decker and Hayes, Stella gets some private time with a man. Nice of you to join me, Johnny. I'm starting to think you'd forgotten our date. What? What the hell? So you don't remember me, do you, Johnny? That makes me very sad. I thought we had something going. All this, plus escapee story and historical facts, coming January 19th, only on Waxwork.com.